It's nice to have my family with me this time as well. I'm glad that they're able to meet some of you as well, and some we hadn't met last time either, so we're glad to, to see you today and appreciate the privilege of being able to stand into the pulpit again and to have the opportunity to preach. And if you're visiting, of course, you should always come back and hear the pastor preach and, and uh, listen to him give the Word of God. You might be disappointed today. Uh, I hope not, but you could be. And I wouldn't judge the church on my preaching today. Yeah. All right. I noticed that the songs were cut short. Uh, maybe that's normal, but I, had, I just kept thinking it's because he knows I'm long-winded. Is that true? <clears throat> yeah. And uh, we'll go to the book of Ruth because Pastor asked me last time to finish this message. So I'm going to do a bit of a review and then we're going to try to complete the message. I also wanted to say, I, normally I don't start with too much humor. I just, I, I try to avoid that because I know me, I get carried away. But when Pastor uh, apologized for not having a get-together, I told him that I wouldn't expose me to your people if I were you either. So... Uh, maybe by design or maybe just by the providence of God, I'm not sure. All right, well, it's difficult sometimes to pick up a, a message from a month before, and um, we're going to try, and I want to do that. Uh, I have to do two things. One is to not bore those who may remember and, and uh, at the same time bring those in who hadn't heard the beginning of the message and bring you in so that there's continuity to what we're looking at today. Well, Father, we, uh, we genuinely need your help today. We need you to, by your Spirit, both help me to speak words that are right and clear and edifying, but also we need the Spirit of God to help listeners to hear. And uh, we all need the fullness of the Spirit of God this morning. And then at the same time, there may be someone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior at all, and they don't have the Spirit of God and that benefit working inside of them, but they certainly do have your Holy Spirit prompting, touching the heart, stirring their mind, the conscience. And I pray, God, that you would let the Spirit of God do His perfect work today. We want to be made more like Jesus Christ. And we appreciate the opportunity to open up this book and know when we open it with absolute confidence that it's pure, it's right, it's true. No error. We read it. It reads us. It reflects us. It teaches us and tells us who we are and what we ought to be. And I'm praying today, God, uh, that there won't be a wasted time today, wasted moments together but rather, God, that we would be made again like Jesus Christ, that you'd be pleased with how both the, the Bible is preached and how it's responded to. And we want to say this morning that we love you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your book. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> to reintroduce it, uh, but without going into the same detail as last time, I would like to uh, just read verses 15 to verse 18 of Ruth chapter number 1, and then I'll make some comments and we'll keep moving. So Ruth chapter number 1, verses 15 to 18. And this is Naomi speaking to Ruth, and she says in verse 15, she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people. 
and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And the point that we started with and, and focused on together a month ago is in verse 18, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded, that phrase, steadfastly minded, to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Well, the book of Ruth, in fact, all of the Bible, it can be said, is, is that any passage of Scripture many times has so many different applications, and uh, obviously in this Generally, the application that's pulled out is about the kinsman redeemer, and I'm not going to let that go. I want to say something about that at the end of the, of the message today, but there's so many applications, and that's the beauty of the Word of God is that it applies in so many different areas of our lives, and we can, we can read it, and, and, and it reads us, and it tells us who we are. And we get a, a revelation here of the, the character of this woman, Ruth, and uh, last time we did just a, a quick little survey of what she was as a Moabitess, and uh, she was of a cursed nation that came from a terrible background, and uh, by every, every man's standard, we would say she didn't stand a chance to do anything or be used by God. And uh, I know that in, in my own ministry, that many people I run into come to that place of saying, I don't think I can be loved by God, or I don't think I can be used by God, but it's just not so. And Ruth came from such a place where if we looked at it, again, completely on human terms, we'd say she doesn't have any opportunity, any chance at all to be used and blessed by God, and certainly not to be recorded in Scripture as somebody that we should emulate. And yet, here we are reading about her these many centuries later, and we're drawing out these truths about the character of this woman, Ruth. It really goes to show you that it's more about the heart attitude that we have toward God than about our heritage and our upbringing and our religious up, uh, background. And all of those things are irrelevant at the end of the day. It's how we respond to God. And God wants us to, to know Him. And when we come to know Him, then He wants us to have a tender heart toward Him and respond toward Him in a way that allows Him to make us what He wants us to be. And we're all responsible for that. And we can't blame somebody else. We can't blame anything about our background that keeps us from being both blessed and used by God. And so we learned that about Ruth last time. And, and so we talked about the story. If you don't know the story very quickly, uh, Naomi and her husband moved down to Moab during a time of drought and famine. And uh, they took their sons, two sons, with them. And during the time that they lived in that place in Moab... Uh, Naomi lost her husband, and then and the two sons married these Moabitess women, and uh, then the two sons died, and so Naomi had heard that the, God had blessed the land of Israel again, and she was going to go back home. The two daughter-in-laws decided to go with her, and she encouraged them not to go, and she said, "Just go back to where you came from. I'm not going to have any more children. You're not going to be able to marry any more sons of mine." One of them, Orpah, returned back to Moab, but Ruth is the one who said, I'm going with you. And that's the point that we were making last time there in verse number 18 is about Ruth and her steadfast mindedness. What I want us to do today as we go again through this passage is we're going to take Ruth's character and her response toward both 
Naomi and Boaz, and let that be an, uh, an example for us that we need to follow when it comes to really the Christian life. I, it's difficult for me many times to separate out missions from just the Christian life because our life is really a mission. It's about winning people to Christ, telling them, testifying of the Lord Jesus before the people that we're around day in and day out. That's what we're here for. And so it really can just be applied to the, to the normal daily Christian life. But here, she, she's steadfastly minded. And even though we saw, uh, and, and even read there, you know, return, we saw that Naomi is trying to talk Ruth out of following her. Ruth had already made up her mind, I'm going with you, there's nothing you can say that will change it, and I'm going to stick with you. And, and without repeating the entire message again, that is something that I, I have meditated on so many times in, in this passage and in preaching this passage is that I want to have and I want to see believers have a steadfast mindedness when it comes to following the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to allow somebody to talk me out of it. I'm not going to allow circumstances to change it. I'm not going to allow the difficulty of my past to take that away from me. I am steadfastly minded to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And I want us to have that heart. Young people, I, I want to see young people that have that heart. I want to see youth that have that mind, steadfastly minded, because we can talk about shipwreck after shipwreck after shipwreck of both young and old where something came into the life and removed them from following Jesus Christ and from following through with what He's called us to do. And I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that person. And yet, I can stand here today and say I don't want to be that person. It doesn't mean I won't be that person unless I'm steadfastly minded. You may have family that tries to talk you out of serving Jesus Christ. You may have friends that try to talk you out of serving Jesus Christ. You may have church family that will try to talk you out of serving Jesus Christ. And if you don't resolve in your mind, entreat me not to leave thee, nor to turn from following after thee, if you don't resolve that in your mind, you may very well be the next shipwreck. And of course, we don't want that. And, uh, and let me say this for those maybe who are new to church. We don't want that because we care. Amen. We care, we love you. We don't want anything out of you. Amen. We want Jesus Christ to be manifest in you. Amen. There's no reward for guilt tripping or manipulating somebody into doing a thing. We want your heart to be right with God. And you follow God. And you know what that reward is? The reward is in heaven. We get to see you there with crowns that we all cast at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reward. It's Jesus that gets the reward of his suffering. It's not the preacher or the church that gets the reward. That's what we want. She was steadfast minded. And I pointed out three things last time. She, her steadfast mindedness was revealed in her surrender of her will and her liberty, which we saw in verse 16. Entreat me not, and that means stop asking me and please don't ask again. Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. 
And then she goes on and says, For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. So she, she gives up her will. She gives up her liberty. But she gives up her identity. And in, in what we saw there was that, again, in verse number 16, Thy people shall be my people. This was a Moabitess woman saying, The Israelites will be my people. These are two nations that are at odds with each other. But I'm going to make your people my people. That's a great lesson for us. You know, again, I I think about different people that we've ministered to in Australia and and, um, just different things that are said along the way, whether sometimes, well, that's American Christianity or that's, that's an American way of thinking. And sometimes they're right. But many times what they view is that Bible Christianity is the American way. I can't tell you how many times I've been said, somebody has said to me, oh, yeah, right, we get it, you're, you're American, you're all religious and all that, we get it, you're right, but that ain't for me. And to, and to help people to understand, maybe someone today to help you to understand this isn't the Baptist way. Okay, this isn't the the white man's way. This isn't the American way. We, as best as we're able, are striving to have the Bible way. And what, what we all have to come to, those of us who have come to know Christ as Savior, we all have different things in our background, and we all had to say, you know what, those people are going to be my people. The, 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 the guys that I went to high school with that were my closest friends in high school who were, were friends with me, I had to decide, are they going to be my people or are the people who love God going to be my people? And when I said, the, the people of God will be my people, I didn't leave them, they left me. And then she went on and said, Thy God shall be my God. Her God had been Chemosh her entire life. That's all she knew. But she said, I'm not going to serve Chemosh. I'm going to serve the God of heaven. The God of the Bible, if you will. That's who I'm going to serve. And he was very different. You know, we can't bring along our our religious background, and I say that having been raised in some pretty good churches in the past, but when I got saved, I couldn't bring that along with me. I had to establish that now God will be my God, not the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church will be my God, or the Baptist Church will be my God. It had to be God will be my God. She surrendered her will and her liberty She surrendered her identity and she surrendered her future. In verse number 17, Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if aught but death part me, thee and me. I want my future to be determined by my walk with God. If he plants me in Rapid City in the ground, fine. If he plants me, in my case, in Australia, in the ground, fine. If he plants me in another place around the globe by his will because I followed him, fine. But God, I don't want anything to part me and thee. When we first left for Australia, I'm going to get as personal as I can this morning. When we first left for Australia, 
I, it nev- I never had any attachment to the United States. I don't mean that in an unpatriotic way. I'm just saying it didn't matter to me. I was gung-ho, off we go. And uh, for most of the time that we've been there, that's the way it's been. And, and now I'm realizing, you know, as we get older, things change about our emotions and our mentality, the way we think. And as I get older, now there's that more of a draw. Well, there's, there's family there. There's friends there back in America. And, and we're, we're missing things. We're missing weddings. We're missing funerals. We're missing fellowship. And as a young man, foolhardy, it didn't eat away at me much, but now as I get a little bit older, I start to think, well, you know, it would be kind of nice. What I'm saying is that I had to say, God, none of those are going to move me and, de- and make me depart from you. And my family's had to come to that decision as well. They were not going to depart from you, God. God, do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part me and thee, Lord. And I wonder if we all have that attitude today. God, if you send me to a foreign mission field, I'm not going to let the emotion of missing family or missing church or missing friends draw me away from you. I want to be right where you're at, God. Well, I can go on and on and on and on and on about this particular point, but I think I've proven that. But I want to just move on to the second point. We're going to go to chapter number two. Chapter number two. There is such a... It, it's just a remarkable progression of character traits that are revealed. Preacher, what time am I supposed to be done? What time do you finish? Oh, my goodness. I hate getting asked. <laughs> I'm usually done by 12.15, but... 12.15, Okay. That's fine. I just want to be courteous. I mean, the sheep may hate you afterwards. <laughs> well, better me than you. You bring it, brother. <laughs> okay. So our first character trait about Ruth is that she was steadfastly minded. The second thing we see about her is they return. She goes with Naomi. They travel back. They go back to the land of Israel. And they get back to the place where Naomi uh, had property. And they, the properties return to them. Chapter 2, verse number 1. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech. And his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field. Man, what a phrase. Let me now go to the field. Can I ask you again, as a missionary who's watching so many missionaries either retire or return home, and so few going to the field, can I ask you, would you have that heart before the Lord this morning? Lord, let me now go to the field. Let me go. I know for many years, you know, I was under the impression whether... It was intentional or unintentional. I had the impression that if I didn't have this, if a person didn't have this almost a Macedonian call to come over and help us, well, then they weren't called to ministry. I do not believe that anymore, and I'm sorry if I interfere with other teaching, but I don't believe that. I really believe God takes volunteers. I believe that God, and it's right through the book of Acts many times, people just put their hand up to go. 
God said, I'll use you. Of course, Isaiah is the most famous of the passages of, here am I, Lord, send me. But here's, Nate, here's Ruth, and that character trait that's coming out of her is, let me now go do something. I'm steadfast-minded to stay with you. Now let me serve. Let me get involved. Let me carry my load. And, and we'll keep reading. I want you to see something. So for, again, verse number two. And Ruth the Moabite, a son of Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. Man, it, this is why it's so hard for me to go through these passages. There's so much. Man, I'm gonna, I want to go find grace. I want to go serve and find grace. Wonderful. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. What a hap. It's amazing. I mean, it's God who said it was by chance. But there she is. And there he is. Verse number four, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. I want you to see the second character trait of Ruth this morning is continuing in service. Now maybe the first point, maybe everybody in the room, everybody watching would say, well, I'm steadfastly minded to stay with the Lord. That's great. Show it. It will be revealed in your actions. Because it's really only the outward fruit of a person's life that allows anyone else to know whether or not we really mean what we're saying or not. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. That is, it just makes you poor. I can talk all day long about what I'm going to do, what I want to do, what my desire is, but until I put action to it, it's just talk is cheap. She set her mind to something, and the revelation of the fact that she really meant what she was saying is that she now wants to go get busy and do something. And what's a marvelous thing is look at the culture of what's going on here, even in our own culture. You've got the older woman, Naomi, who's allowed this younger woman, Ruth, to come home with her. The older woman, Naomi, is not going to have the same capability of working in the field that, Naomi, that Ruth is going to have. And Ruth recognizes this, and so she puts her hand up and says, I'll go to the field and work. I'll bear the brunt of the, the heat of the day. I'll get myself involved in the work. You know what she did? She rendered her reasonable service. And God told us in Romans 12:1, I beseech you therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And every one of us who in our mind are steadfast to follow God, that's wonderful. Now we need to prove it and say, God, let me get out in the field and do something to labor. And, and just to illustrate that my heart is right with you. God, I want to give you what's reasonable. You've had mercy in my life. You've allowed me to become a part of your people. 
You've allowed me to adopt you as my God. Let me go out in the field and render my service. And man, when she went out, she, she, Ruth at no point, it's not even indicated in the scriptures, at no point did she go, well, if I do this, then maybe this will happen really positive. Every step of the way, there's no certain outcome for Ruth. In saying to Naomi, I'm going to go back to your land, she's taking a chance that they won't even receive her. It's uncertain what's going to happen. You know how many Christians are derailed by the fact that God says, I want something from you, I want you to follow me, and they say, well, I don't know what the outcome's going to be, and until I know the outcome, I can't follow you. We walk by faith, believing the promises of God, and not by the certain outcome of what God may have for us. I still, I may have said this last time, but I don't know a missionary that wants to go to a field, like Australia, for instance, and have to write a prayer letter that says, I've hit more kangaroos this year than I've led people to Christ. (laughs) That wasn't the outcome I was expecting. But how about you with the things that God wants from your life? God calls you to follow. Be faithful in church, but God, what's the outcome of this? What's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? God, I can't make that commitment until I know the outcome. And by the way, Lord, I really want the outcome to be that I'm healthy, that I have plenty of finances, my children all grow up to serve the Lord, and we live happily ever after. That's what I want, but that may not be the outcome. Are you going to be derailed? Many times, I don't think that the Lord allows us to see that stuff, because if we really saw what was coming down the path, we would bail out immediately. She gives her service again with no certain outcome. She wasn't trying to get anything from it other than, I'm just glad to be a part of this, but she gets recognition. And it's recognition in the right sense. It's not prideful recognition. Because when Boaz comes along and he says, well, who's this? In verse number 7, his servant tells him, this is a remarkable woman. I pray you, she said to him, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued. She's continued. She didn't put in a little effort and find out this was a lot of work and I may be more than I bargained for, so I'm out of here. She's continued, he says, even from the morning until now. Whatever it was about Ruth as she labored in the field, those around her said, that's a remarkable woman. He says that she tarried a little in the house. She took the normal break that would be expected. She gained recognition. And because of that, now please listen to me, her continuing in service is what gained her grace. She'd already been shown grace by the fact that she'd been allowed to be a part of the nation. There was some mercy and grace there. But she gains more grace. Look at verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Folks, I'm telling you this. 
and of course, we can keep reading, and I want you to when you go home. Keep reading, keep studying, but here's what you're going to find. In verse 2, Ruth went out hoping to find grace. In verse 8, she found more grace than she bargained for. And that's exactly what will happen in your Christian life. You may say, God, I just want to get in and do something, and I know I'm not much, but I'll do what I can if you'll just allow me to do it. And you'll get in the middle of it, and you'll go, Lord, why in the world are you giving me so much grace? Why are you allowing so much to go in my life that is such a blessing to me and a benefit to me and a help to me? God, what is going on? He has more grace and more grace and more grace. I want you to see the third point with me in the same passage. Let's read down, um, let's go ahead and read verse 9 and 10. Boaz continues to her, let thine eyes be on the field that they, uh, that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? So now he's protecting her. And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Now he's providing for her. Verse 10, then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground. That's the next point I want you to see. She was steadfastly minded. She continued in her service, but she's humble about what she's receiving. She bows herself with her face to the ground and said unto him, verse 10, why have I found grace in thine eyes? If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, you really understand what he's done for you? Any one of us could say that very statement. Why have I found grace in thy sight? It's beyond my understanding. That thou shouldest take knowledge of me, and she says, seeing I'm a stranger. Don't put your hand up. But maybe in your heart you can put your hand up there. You could say, there's been so many times in my life that I said, God, I really am nothing more than a stranger. And you see yourself with the eyes of understanding about yourself. I know the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who can know it? But I know this much, what I do know about my heart scares me. And I frighten myself with the things that I sometimes say in my heart, think in my heart, meditate on in my heart. I I frighten myself, and then I realize God sees that. He hears that. He knows that. He understands that. And still gives me grace. And is still pleased to have me with Him and have me serving Him. And I don't understand it, but I sure am thankful for it. But I'll tell you what, when we look at ourselves like she was looking at herself, we need corrected. Because she sees herself as nothing more than a stranger, but he's given her grace. And he corrects the way she thinks. And you'll notice here, verse number 11, Boaz answered and said unto her, now this is the eyes of grace. Please see this. She just spoke with the eyes of a stranger. He's going to speak with the eyes of grace. Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people 
which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. He sees her with grace. The eyes of grace didn't see her as a stranger. The eyes of grace saw her as one who had been loyal and kind. You left your heritage to follow and to serve. The eyes of grace saw her as one who had sacrificed. You left your land, your fathers. Everything's gone behind. And the eyes of grace saw that she'd been converted to the true and living God. I don't know, you may already know this, but if you don't know or understand this, this is so important that you understand. Any one of us here could look at ourselves and get depressed when we're looking at ourselves as the eyes of a stranger. But that is not the way God wants us to see ourselves. We got to see it with the eyes of grace. When you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, or if you don't know Him, when you come to know Him as your Savior, you're not a stranger. You're a child of the King. And because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the righteous robes that He puts on you, you have as much right to be called an heir as the Lord Jesus Himself. You didn't earn it. You didn't have the merit for it. It was a gift of God. But that's how He wants us to see ourselves. And again, I've seen so many Christians derail themselves by saying, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. You're looking at it as the eyes of a stranger. we got to see God's perspective on it. I am a, a recipient of grace, mercy, peace, eternal life. That's what God sees about you and me. And if we're not careful, we will cripple ourselves in our service and we won't be able to go on and serve God because all we see is what was past. What was wrong or what is wrong. I'm not saying to gloss over it. I'm not saying to ignore it. I'm not saying it's okay. But I'm saying that the eyes of grace look at us and say it's okay. It's covered. The worst thing we can do when we get to that understanding is get puffed up. There are some elements in Christianity, and they may be saved. I'm not saying they're not, but there are some elements in Christianity who say, well, I've got God's grace, therefore it doesn't matter. I can live as I like. We call it uh, extreme grace. Live as I like, do as I like, think as I like, watch what I like, listen to what I like, do. I can just, because it's all under the blood, it's all under grace, I can just do. That is not humility, folks. And that is not the way Ruth responded to Boaz. She's on her face and saying, how is this even possible? But I want you to see what she does next. Because when she changes her perspective, she goes on and said in verse number 13, then said she said, let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord. Okay. Watch now. She asks for more. For that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens, 
And Boaz said unto her at mealtime, Come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed and left. You know what she did when she realized, okay, I'm not a stranger anymore. I'm living under grace. And she had a right humble heart. She said, would it be okay if I had a little bit more? Say, wow, what an audacity of her. No, not at all. She realized that she was drinking from the fountain of mercy. That she had a relationship, just a friendly relationship with Boaz here. She had a relationship with someone that he's not offended if you say, would it be okay if I had just a little bit more of your mercy? A little bit more of your grace? A little bit more of your favor? Christian, it's not spiritual to say, well, I don't ask anything from God. You know, He's just done so much for me. I just don't ask anything from God. That's not spiritual at all. The humble person can go to God and say, God, you've done so much for me. Would it be okay if I had a little bit more favor so I can do more for you? Would you let me, would you just let me serve you a little bit better? Because I need grace for it. Would you let me win some other people to Christ? I'm going to need your favor. Are you with me this morning? Sometimes when you're preaching, you think, boy, am I ever bombing out. Sometimes you think, man, I have just absolutely blown this thing up. And people think, that was the worst message I've ever heard in my life. I hope you're with me. She had humility. The next thing that she had was submission. Chapter number three, I promise I'm going to be quick. Ruth chapter number three, and I want you to see here verse number one. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, what, uh, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. Now there's nothing inappropriate going on here. What Naomi is telling Ruth to do is to take the right actions to let Boaz know I want to be redeemed by you. I recognize my place with you and you're my only hope. And so I want to be redeemed by you and I'm willing to give myself to you if you'll have me. There's nothing inappropriate. But you'll notice the character of Ruth here when Naomi tells her to do this, perhaps, and I'm speculating, but perhaps Ruth doesn't understand the culture of Israel Perhaps she doesn't understand what's taking place here. She's already overwhelmed with all that's been done in her life. But rather than argue with Naomi about the whole process, she just says, what you've told me to do, I will do. There are, well, just read your Old Testament. And how many times that God told somebody to do something that when we read it, we think, I am glad I was not an Old Testament prophet. 
That's craziness. God may tell you to do some pretty crazy things in your life. And he knows exactly what he's doing. And you've got to make a decision whether you say, all that you've said unto me, I will do. When we went to Australia, we spent one year on the Sunshine Coast. After the year was finished, we knew that God was telling us to go west. I sat down with a man many of you may know. His name is Wayne Shemish. I said, Brother Shemish, I'd like, because he's Australian, and I thought it'd be good to get some Australian advice on this. I said, um, what do you think about this plan to go west, to go to King Arroy? He said, don't do it, brother. Don't do it. I said, why, why do you say that? He said, it, it won't work. We've seen many people try to do it. Don't go out there. Don't do it. You'll get discouraged. You'll go home. Don't do that. Just stay where you are or come work with us or do something. Don't do it, brother. Don't do it. I said, brother, what would you do if you were me and you were sure God was telling you to go? He said, I would go if I knew God told me to go. I'm telling you, don't do it. <laughs> I talked to another preacher. He said, don't do it, brother. You're crazy. I talked to another preacher. He said, don't do it. But I knew God told me to go. They all said, you're mad. You're going to be discouraged. If you last five years, you'll be lucky. And if you last five years, it'll be because you're going home. God gave us eight and a church. God, what you tell me to do, that's what I want to do. No matter how crazy it may seem like everybody to everybody around us. Christian... You just got done committing to the Lord some missions giving. And you may have thought when you put a number down on a card for your reference, well, this is craziness. And I'm telling you, just submit to God and do what he told you to do. And you will be absolutely blown away by what he does to get you there. She was submissive. She submitted, she obeyed in verse number 6. She went down under the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And of course, what was the outcome of it? Verse number 10, Boaz said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And we read on in the text, and you know what he tells her? He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to redeem you. But there's one closer than me. Now, before I go to my last point, I want you to recognize what took place with Ruth there. Steadfastly minded, I'm following, no certain outcome. She continued in her service because that's what's right to do with no certain outcome. She humbled herself when she received grace and favor with no certain outcome. She now submits herself to the directives of Naomi with no certain outcome. Boaz is about to tell her to wait with no certain outcome. Christian, I want you to see the progression of the character traits of Ruth here. She doesn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. She doesn't have a complete copy of Scripture. In fact, she's only got a few Scriptures in her fingertips, if that. And yet her heart is, I'm just going to keep doing, keep doing, keep my eyes forward. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep going. I want to serve God. I want to be with God's people. I just want to be used by God. And I don't care what the outcome is. 
Submission is so hard for us because we are so prideful. All of us are prideful. And it, it is hard for us to submit when we don't understand what the outcome will be, when we don't understand why God's asking us to do a thing, when we don't understand why, why this restriction, why this move, why this direction, why this pain, why this trouble, why this tribulation in my life. Submit. And Boaz is going to take that submission that she gave to Naomi and he's going to use it to bring some of the greatest blessings the world's ever known. We must learn to submit. And lastly, verse number 13 of chapter number 3. Here's what Boaz says to her, Tarry this night. And it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of the kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of the kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of the kinsman to thee as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. I want you to skip down to verse number 18 and look at this. She's come home and told Naomi what took place. And here's what Naomi told her. Then said she, sit still. Sit still. Boaz says, Terry. Naomi says, sit still. The last character trait I want you to see about Ruth is her patience. With no certain outcome. How many of you have trouble being patient as the Lord works some things out in your life? Man, I do. Sit still. I'm thinking of somebody right now who's asked counsel for me. I don't even know how many times. I try to give them the best counsel that I can, and I always say, but why don't you just be patient and just let the Lord work some details out? And I've watched them rush ahead and rush ahead and rush ahead, and it comes apart, and then they're on the phone to me again saying, what do you think I should do with this situation? And I, and I just recently had to say to them what I think is that you should have just sat still for a little while and gave God some time. Just sit still. Can I say this as a missionary who thought, you know, I'm going to go over and I'm going to tear it up and, man, it's just going to be so good. I'm just going to do so much. Man, it would just be wonderful. How many times I've had to just sit still. And it's not working out just quite the way I thought yet. It's still not working out the way I thought it would yet. It's, God, it's still not working out in the time. You know what God says? Just sit still. Because you know what Boaz is doing in the background there? He's down at the gate with the elders of the city proposing what needs to take place. Either this kinsman needs to redeem the land and Ruth or he needs to give up his right to redeem the land and Ruth. But she doesn't see any of it. And as you and I sit, submitted to God, continuing what he's asked from us, with humility and a steadfast mind to stick with it, and we don't see what's going on in the background, God is constantly working. And he's working, and he's laboring, and he's setting it up, and he's getting it where he wants it to be so that he can come along and say, now's the time. Amen. Patient. All right. 
What were the results? And by the way, I skipped over so much. The results of Ruth behaving the way she did. By the end of chapter number four, she's no longer called Ruth the Moabitess. She's called Ruth the husband of Boaz. Boaz was blessed with a virtuous woman because she did what she did. Naomi was blessed with a kinsman. In chapter 4, verse number 14, they celebrated that she was given a kinsman against all odds. Israel was blessed with David. And you and I were blessed with the Redeemer. I want to have that kind of character. Can I say as I close, the most prominent message in the book of Ruth is the fact that you can be redeemed, whoever you are. And if you came today and don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that Jesus Christ came and died for your sins according to the Scriptures. And He came because He loved you. There's no other reason. He didn't see merit in you or me. He didn't think He was saving some wonderful trophy from sure destruction, but rather that we were helpless and hopeless without God. And he said the only way that that person is ever going to be able to be redeemed and to be taken home to be in heaven with me is if I give my life for him. And he became our kinsman redeemer. And against everything that, that man could think, against everything that reason would, would, would put forth, Jesus Christ laid his life down at the cross of Calvary. And then he rose again. And that's the greatest message. You read the book of Acts. The greatest message preached in the book of Acts was not hell. You, you're going you're gonna to search long and hard for messages on hell in the book of Acts. You know what they preached? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ today, the reason that's so important is because he took death and he conquered it. And then he took hell and he conquered it. And then he took the devil and he conquered him too. And anything and everything that's against you and I, he showed I can conquer it and I can overcome it when he raised himself from the dead. And now he says, all I want from you is not your church membership. It is not your baptism. It's not your good works. It's not anything you can offer me. I've done everything that can be done. What I want from you is that you believe on me. That's all Jesus wants from you. And he said, at that very moment, you'll no longer be Kevin Byer, the fallen man. You'll be Kevin the redeemed. You put your name in there. And you, the blessings that will come from your life are innumerable. And what we want today is for you to know Christ as Savior. Well, Father, I don't know that I've done justice to the Word of God today, but I know that I've given what you asked me to. And I pray now that as the Holy Spirit works, that he would complete what he may have already started. God, I'm so thankful that we have the scriptures, that he that hath begun a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, you'd help us to be submissive to that, humble in grace, committed to continue, and steadfastly minded. 
And please do what you want to do today, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.